1: You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Ball loose. Give me one for
0: three, got Give it. me one lead.
2: Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain hey. with another one! Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes! Halliburton leaves
3: it off for Batase.
4: Go go good job.
3: Oh, what a move by Heald, he lays it in. Heald, hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch,
2: Jackson the basket. Washington again. Who's got the steal out running is Brissett. Pounced it all to Taylor. Taylor missed it, tips it in.
4: Warren lets it fly. Yes, TJ Warren
3: is not human. Halliburton gonna slam it at the other end. Happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. This will be our last recorded episode before the season concludes. So it's been an interesting 2021-2022 season. But, hey, plenty of things to be excited about in the offseason. Me and Fachi will have all that covered for you. But today, we got to look at what happened on Friday night. And first things first, OKC trots out only six players yesterday, pretty much shut their entire roster. Three guys on 10-day contracts that they signed were a part of this six that actually played in the game. So just kind of ridiculous, if you ask me. But they almost beat the Lakers. I and mean, they're back and forth for at least – you know, good three quarters. And then LA just was able to pull it out because they play nine guys and they were just as, a little bit more rested. So OKC loses that. Now they are a game and a half ahead of us in the standings. We have two games left. They have one. So even if we lose out, the best we can do is tie with them, which doesn't really do a whole lot, except tie our lottery odds. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But Now that the Pacers are where they're at, I think the only thing they really need to keep an eye on is Portland, who's trying to catch them from the backside to have the fifth best odds. So if they lose one of these two games, they can win the other and be okay. But let's look at the play-in games that happened last night. We're keeping an eye on Atlanta, Charlotte, Brooklyn, and of course the Cleveland Cavaliers because the Pacers have that pick if the Cavaliers make the playoffs. Well, big game for Cleveland last night. They're in Brooklyn. They really need to win this game to control that seventh seed. The worst-case scenario, they lose, and that's what happened. So Brooklyn got out to a big lead. Cavaliers came back, took the lead in the third quarter, but then Brooklyn just completely demolished them in the fourth quarter. Cavaliers looked tired. Evan Mobley came back. Still no Jared Allen. So just a heartbreaking loss for the Cavaliers, but a good win for Brooklyn. Brooklyn moves into the seventh seed. Cleveland now the eighth seed. Cleveland would have probably fell into the ninth seed had Atlanta beat Miami, but Miami, with nothing to play for holds off the Hawks at home. So that was a good thing for the Cavaliers because now they still have that game lead on Atlanta. Now Atlanta did have a game lead on Charlotte, but Charlotte spanked Chicago, just spanked them. They are up like 30 points for the majority of the game. Charlotte now is tied with Atlanta for the same record. And it's interesting because while Atlanta owns the head-to-head record against Charlotte, um, or excuse me, I think it goes down to who had the better division record because they are two and two against each other. That puts Charlotte at 10, that puts Atlanta at nine, puts Cleveland at eight, Brooklyn at seven. A lot of interesting things for this playing in situation because Brooklyn plays Indiana on Sunday. The Pacers actually might want to win this game if they want to help Cleveland out a little bit, try to get that pick. So we'll keep an eye on that. Cleveland desperately needs to win this game to stay in the eighth seed. The reason why the eight seed is so important is they have two chances. To make the playoffs, and I think they can beat either Atlanta or Charlotte, but Brooklyn's going to be tough. I mean, they 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 played pretty well against Brooklyn, so don't count them off yet. But like, it's just it's just the Cavaliers. I've only won two games in the last ten, so it's been a struggle for them. So let's just kind of look at things here. So obviously, Indiana plays Brooklyn. The bad thing for Cleveland, they've got to host the Milwaukee Bucks, who only have a game lead over the Boston Celtics for the two seed. Here's why this is confusing boston actually owns the tiebreaker against milwaukee so if that's the case the milwaukee would fall to the three seed. does milwaukee really want to be three who knows they could rest their guys and feel like hey we got a better chance playing against chicago than brooklyn but i don't think milwaukee is afraid of anybody and if they were to play boston in the next round i think they'd rather have the home court advantage so my gut feeling is hey Milwaukee's going to try to win on Sunday versus Cleveland, but Cleveland better try to win themselves because they've got to hold off Atlanta and Charlotte. Atlanta, they're on the road against one of the worst teams in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. So Houston actually played pretty well uh, against Toronto on Friday night, made it a really close game. Jalen Green's been playing out of his mind, but you know, Atlanta really has to win that game. So they're going to be playing to win. And the same thing goes for Charlotte. They're going to be at home hosting the Washington Wizards and look, this Wizards team, who knows who's going to sh- who's going to show up? I mean, is there a possibility we see Washington win that game? I mean, I think it's possible, but I-, I just I'm really kind of like just thinking about everything here. And the best case scenario is for the Cavs just finish for that seven eight seed. So you're rooting against Brooklyn, you're rooting against Atlanta, you're rooting against Charlotte, and you're pulling for the Cavaliers to win on Sunday. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But um, long story short, if you want to know all about the tiebreakers and stuff like that. I tried to do my very best to break it down on a Twitter thre- uh, thread, so check it out there because it's just, it's so complex. I, I, I'm not even sure if I'm a thousand percent right. I've been talking to some guys via message, and I think that I'm right, but it's just the wording of everything is so confusing, so just go over there if you want to see the tiebreaker scenarios and what happens, but with that being said, I'm going to get out of the way for a second. We're going to bring on Michael J. Focci for Five the Focci. All right, everybody, we are back
2: for five with Fauci, and I'm going to be highlighting the top five Lance Stevenson games or moments from this past season. Look, as the season wraps up, we are just not ready to let Lance go. And, you know, a a three-time pacer, that's something truly special. So I thought we'd take a, a look back on some of the best moments from this season. Starting with number five, maybe it's recency bias, but I always love a good assist to turnover ratio. And just last week, Lance had 11 points and 11 assists to just one turnover in a close loss to the Boston Celtics. While there are plenty of other games where he had better stat lines, I mean, how are you going to argue with 11 assists to just one turnover? Plus, I always love it. It's always so fun when Lance has the ball in his hands being a point guard. Moving over next to number four. Against the Atlanta Hawks in February, after having a super brief stint with the Atlanta Hawks before getting waived from his 10 day contract, Lance serves up a cold dish of revenge and drops 24 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists on seven of 15 shooting against the Atlanta Hawks, a near triple double for Born Ready himself. Moving over next to number three against the Oklahoma City Thunder on February 25th, Lance drops. 14 points and four assists. It might not impress you, but no basket was bigger than the absolute dagger three that he hit in the corner to force overtime. And the Lance shimmy that would follow was simply electric. No one will remember that the Pacers ended up losing that game. And, over time, no one will remember the date, the month, whatever it is, but they will remember that three and how that shimmy made you feel. And I can tell you right now, I was ready to run through a wall after that shimmy. And I I'm gonna be honest, I did the shimmy quite a few times that night. Moving over next, January 8th, in just his fourth game, returning to the Pacers. Lance follows up, you know, his uh his return to Brooklyn, which we'll get into in a little bit, a little spoiler. Alert with 16 points and 14 assists to just one turnover in an upset win against the Utah Jazz. Lance had some of the filthiest no-look passes that you will see in that game. Lance Mania was simply running wild, and the connection between him and Sabonis felt like the real deal. Seeing Lance come back and drop 14 assists, which is his pace of career high, it, it was unbelievable to see. moving over next, I hinted at it a little bit, his return home to Brooklyn in just his third game as a Pacer. And when I say return home to Brooklyn, I mean, he's returning home to Indiana against his Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets. He's from Brooklyn. So it's an overall homecoming all around. And we're talking about it was electric. I mean, great. The crowd is behind him. It's fantastic. What does he do? He drops. 30 points. His Pacer career high ties it. But he does it on 12 of 19 shooting. If that didn't impress you enough, you got to remember the first quarter because he scored the final 20 points for the Pacers. He did it on eight of nine shooting and four of five from three in the first quarter. It was unbelievable. The fans were having the time of their lives. I remember I'm sitting next to my now wife, my fiance at the time, and she was saying, Where's this guy been? They have to sign him for the rest of the year. I'm saying, babe, I know. I Trust me. I know. This was an unbelievable performance, also known as Kyrie Irving's season debut. Look, the Nets ended up taking the game, but that's not what we care about. That performance made you feel like Lance wearing that Pacer jersey is just a whole different player. So I hope you enjoyed Five with Fachi And a look back on Lance Stevenson's top games and moments of the season. Because, man, that was a trip down memory lane, and I'm not ready to say goodbye.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You
3: need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh,
1: oh, oh,
4: O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
3: All right, joining us on this Saturday podcast, it is Ben Gibson. You guys <coughs> might have read his work over at 8.9 Seconds before or at the Fieldhouse. But uh, Ben, so much for joining me. How you doing, man?
1: I never thought I would be the old man of any sort of particular world, but apparently I'm the old man of our Pacers Twitter these days. <laughs> Only Jared Wade
3: is older. <laughs> so when did you, uh, when did you first join Twitter?
1: I joined, I joined it back in, uh, I think like
3: 2010,
1: huh. Um, but uh, I really didn't get into basketball and all that as far as writing until
3: about 2012. I got you. I got you. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I think it's really cool uh, that you've been able to watch this team for the last decade and so you're familiar with Rick Carlisle probably just as well as anybody is but there were some interesting comments that happened yesterday Uh, Rick Carlisle addresses the media kind of out of out of thin air and 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 confirms that he's here to coach and not going to the front office and little did I know Scott Agnes was on the morning show that day uh, on Thursday came out and basically just said that they're Could be some speculation that Pritchard might be on the hot seat. Like, didn't really say if he was or not, but just kind of threw it out there. Like, his seat could be a little warm. The season didn't go as planned. You know, what is Carlisle's role in all this? And so then Carlisle kind of addresses everything, and it made more sense now why he did that to try to put this stuff to bed. But honestly, um, I hadn't heard really too much about it outside of a couple people tweeting at me. So what are your thoughts on on Carlisle kind of – coming out so quickly to defend everything that was said and do you think that uh he really doesn't have any aspirations to be in the front office
1: i i don't think it's so much aspirations to be in the front okay well i guess there's a couple ways to do this i do think that there's a little heat on kp i don't think that carlisle wants to move into the front office but i definitely believe he wants more of a say over the decisions that are made um Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's clear to me that, you know, he wants to make sure this roster reflects the way he wants to coach and not entirely put it in Pritchard or Chad Buchanan's hands. So um, whether or not he's gotten what he wanted so far is another question, but I could imagine like any coach, you want to be the master of your own fate and not hoping someone else gets
3: it right. I mean, when it comes to coaches that are, are paid as handsomely as he is, isn't it kind of like, common knowledge that they will be working with the front office in terms of how they build the roster? I don't know. And I, I
1: guess maybe some worthy context here would be how things ended in Dallas and just with, you know, uh, um, parala Bob and all that. And just there being like some clear dysfunction about who was running things. So maybe it's just, I think it's a mix of his hard ass personality Um possibly just how the last job ended and plus i mean i think there's some truth to the rumors and everything but and i think it also helps that there's nothing else to talk about with the pacers so that probably got a lot more play than it would have if the pacers were relevant beyond you know draft order at this point in the year
3: no and i and i totally agree with that i think it's been really perplexing just to kind of figure out what carlisle exactly is doing with this roster what he's doing with his rotation you know it's um it's interesting because if you look back at the years at Dallas of that the, the Mavericks have had since winning that championship in 2011, this has been the best year in 2021 2022 that the Mavericks have had since that championship run. And Rick Carlisle is no, you know, basically was there for the whole decade, the last ten years before this really good run under Jason Kidd. So. I mean, is there any possibility in your mind that you think Rick Carlisle might just not have that same edge that he used to have uh, maybe in the, the mid-2000s, early 2010s? It's, I mean, I think there could be something to that. But,
1: I mean, I guess it just me – to me comes back to maybe this is all just him kind of worried about how things worked out in Dallas because – excuse me real quick <laughs> – um, you know, they won that championship, and then Cubans, you know, elected to blow up the roster, and until they got lucky enough to draft a um, you know, generational talent in Luke Ch-
4: Donkett, yes, he's
1: had to deal with just yes, please, please, please. just rosters that didn't entirely make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, it's just like I could definitely imagine I think there's reason to also wonder, yes, does he still have that edge, but I could also imagine just after the way things played out in Dallas, like doesn't want to deal with, you know, that sort of dysfunction or just kind of, you know, lack of direction. Cause that was always the baffling thing about the years after that championship was, I mean, obviously they were trying to compete again, but I mean, they definitely seemed to never quite put together the roster that was going to do that. And you know, he holds he holds responsibility for coaching the team, but I don't think I've looked at any of those rosters and really thought, yeah, this is this is a team that's gonna do something.
3: No, and that's a fair point because even looking at all the Mavericks rosters, they've been pretty bad. Like he made the best out of a lot of bad situations. You know, Monte Ellis looked really good there and the Pacers ended up overpaying for him. You know, there was the DeAndre Jordan stuff that went down, and then when they finally got him, it was a terrible thing. Chris Dobbs was not exactly who they thought he would be. Really, Luke has been the only generational talent they've had, and they haven't put a lot of great talent around him. So, I mean, maybe there's some fair points that. I don't want to criticize Carlisle too much. Obviously, this season has not been great from him, but at the same time, like you said, it might not be the roster that he wants. And so this is a great time to transition into our last topic that I wanted to talk about today. And that is the future and the direction of this team. And so obviously everyone's excited about the NBA draft, free agency, potential trades, but there's just one big question. What direction is this Pacers team heading? And based on everything you've heard and everything you've read potentially, what do you think the direction of this team is? I mean, the honest answer I have is I
1: don't know, but what worries me is that they'll immediately try to compete in some way again. Um, like we've seen in years past. The only reason it seems like they're really tanking this year is because of all the injuries. It seems like they would have been, as far as uh, the front office and organization, would have been fine with, you know, being a 500 team and trying to make the playoffs. But they simply got too injured for that to be realistic. And, I mean, what if some of these guys were healthier? Would they have still just been trying to squeeze into the play-in game? Yeah. I mean – I guess that's what worries me is everything I know about this team outside of one of the most bizarre, you know, incidents in basketball history has always been to compete for a playoff spot and, you know, whatever they can. And unless they draft another PG like talent, that just seems like it's foolish to go for that until either Halliburton turns into the next Paul George or something, or I guess more of a guard, but. I mean, I don't know why this team would immediately try to make the playoffs next year, especially when there's only two players on this roster that have an upside we don't know about. Everyone else, you know, we know how good Matt and Brogdon is. We know what to expect from Miles Turner. And the other, I mean, <laughs> I just, it would be very strange for me unless they just happen to find the right trades this offseason to – immediately try to make the playoffs again i mean if they happen to be good enough to make the playoffs that's one thing but i wouldn't want to see them you know make some mid-level signings that are going to make the team better but only better to make you know what playing game (laughs) appearance
3: right and that's that's kind of the biggest fear i have too it's like do we really want to be super competitive next year and and just get into the playing and then lose out and then have like the, the 12th worst record or the 12th. Yeah, I guess the 12th worst record in the NBA. Like that's, that's kind of where we were before. So I, I, I kind of like what he said though, when he was talking to the media after practice, he brought up the fact that when, you know, the Mavericks got Luka Doncic, you know, they were bad for one year, but it helped them, you know, get a generational talent. They got Luka Doncic. And then he also brought up the fact that the next year they didn't make the playoffs, but they were competitive the year after they finally got into the playoffs. So he said that it, you know, it's not a quick process, but it's doesn't have to be a super long one either. So I don't know if he was kind of foreshadowing to potentially what this Pacers team could look like, but it kind of felt that way that he was kind of saying, Hey, when you get a guy in the draft, that's really talented in the the top five, top 10 area, you know, if they are, they're a star level player, it's going to take two to three years before they can really get your team to the playoffs. So it kind of felt like it was foreshadowing, but I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear.
1: I'd say I guess I'm hoping that maybe between him and Chad and KP, there's some sort of understanding of that because, yeah, this I couldn't. I don't see any particular way, short of a miracle, this team could realistically compete in the second or you know conference championship, second round or conference championship anytime soon. I mean, I think you have to commit to, you know, maybe not tanking next year, but I don't see the point of signing some veteran guys that are going to create more wins, but not really change the fate of the franchise in any way.
3: Yeah, no. And I agree with that. So as we, as we wrap it up, um, I guess just looking at the veterans they have on this team, if you were to tell me that they only, you know, uh, they only trade one. Who do you think is the most likely out of these veterans on the roster right now and, and next season that'll be under contract that you think they'll move off of?
1: I mean, I, I, maybe it's lazy, but I feel like Malcolm Brogdon only because if you have a real ball handler in, um, if you have a real ball handler in Tyrese Halliburton. Do you need Malcolm Brogdon on your team? I mean, he's fine as a secondary guard, maybe he's even better in some ways that. But like you I understand you kept you kept Miles Turner over De, DeMontis Sabonis because he can anchor the anchor anchor the team defensively. But I mean, I guess that's the thing. I don't know like do you try to trade him before he gets injured again? Like I love Miles Turner, but I'm scared of the idea of hoping he's healthy for 82-plus games. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, let me ask you this real quick, not to cut you off, but I want to I wanna ask you this. Do you really think that the only reason they kept Turner over Sabonis was because of the defensive anchor part, or do you think that the other factors weighed in, like you don't get Halliburton unless you give up Sabonis, A, and B, Turner's injury was very uh, present at the time, and Carlisle actually said that even if they were trying to win games now and go for the play-in, Turner would not be healthy because he's still dealing with this foot injury at this point right now. So knowing all that with the injury and with what they got back, do you still think that that's why they kept Turner over Sabonis was just because of the defensive part of it?
1: I mean, I guess I think so. I mean, it's just – I mean, I, I guess the thing is I feel like maybe from a team-building standpoint, mm, yeah, it's going to be easier to work around Turner and, you know, what he gives you defensively then we know DeMontis Sabonis is good, but he's not going to be Nikola Jokic or anything like that. So, I mean, you had to kind of choose between the two of them because, you know, the salaries involved. And I still would love to have DeMontis Sabonis on this team, but I guess it's the thing. I just – I don't know what this team is exactly trying to do until this summer when they give us some real indication with their next moves because – I mean, does that trade happen if the injuries hadn't happened? I mean, it's – I feel like the hardest thing trying to figure out this team this year is there's so many – everything feels like a butterfly effect situation because if X doesn't happen, you know, do you ride out the, you know, the Turner-Sabonis combination for longer? Yeah. Um, or do you, did you trade Sabonis because we can get, you know, one of the better young guards in the league that's got real upside? I mean, it's – there's a lot of questions, and then we get into all the rumors we've heard about whether KP's, you know, really involved with the team in the same way he has been, you know, whether Chad Buchanan's actually doing more. And, of course, they're never going to address that, you know. But, I mean, it just feels like there's a lot of chaos on top of the on-the-court chaos issues with injuries and everything else.
3: Yeah, no, and I and I agree with that. And I guess we'll find out maybe some more. As we, um, as we hear from the team on Monday, as they do their exit interviews, but at the same time, it's going to be a lot of coach speak, GM speak, and we won't hear too many, too many great things. But uh, this is going to wrap up our conversation for our Saturday segment here. So uh, I want to thank at Cowboy on Patrol on Twitter, where you guys find me at my man Ben Gibson for coming on and talking about this team and uh, all the stuff we heard. So, Ben, thank you so much, man. The Rookie Report.
2: Brought to you by Pizza King, located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The
3: Rookie Report.
2: Duarte inside scores his first NBA points. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte. He knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Beat him up! Duarte, step back three, and hits his third! That's a tough three, too. Now, Duarte, another three! Here's a long three, Duarte, oh. got <laughs> I mean, Tucker thought he had a lightweight. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Setting the Pace Rookie Report. We're going to be highlighting at few different Indiana Pacer rookies just as we do every week um but as the season winds down you know there's uh not maybe as much to highlight as you would have hoped on the court but maybe a little bit more off the court anyway we'll start with Chris Duarte Pacers first round pick 13th overall he has been shut down for the season with his big toe injury very, uh, you know, very unfortunate for Duarte. It Would have been great to see him out there, you know, for the rest of the season to finish strong. But overall, um, just it's better to play it safe than it is to risk anything. And plus, the best, the biggest common secret out there right now is you know, the Pacers are tanking. That that is uh, no surprise to anybody. Having Duarte out there, you know, it's safe to say enhances your chances to win because he uh, is quite promising. moon over next. Isaiah Jackson made three appearances on the week. He averaged 13.6 points per game on 64% shooting uh, to go along with four rebounds per game and 2.6 blocks. Also, that's eight blocks in three games. He even went 9 of 11 from the free throw line on the week. Great to see, especially for, you know, any big man to be shooting that well from the free throw line. His best game on the week was a 19.7 rebound game on 8 of 10 shooting in a very close loss to Detroit, where he also had three blocks and two steals. The sky is truly the the limit for the big man out of Kentucky. Moving over next, Keeper Sykes, unfortunately... You know, the feel good story has come to an end. He was waived this week as he did not make an appearance in any of the games over the past calendar week. The Pacers elected to bring in Gabe York uh, on a two way deal for the remainder of the season. I-, I like the fact that they were able to give Gabe a shot. Mm, a shot is probably putting it lightly, it's just two games. But for keeper, they saw all they needed to see. Uh, for the season, he averaged 5.6 points per game on 36% shooting. And, you know, 1.9 assists, but it was to one turnover. So, you know, not exactly what you're looking for over there. Uh, but moving over next, Dwayne Washington Jr. Dwayne averaged 11 points per game on the week on just 35% shooting. However, he shot 37.5% from three, which is what he does best, a true marksman. His best game on the week was a 9.3 rebound, one steal, and one block performance on two of four shooting against the Boston Celtics in a close loss. Now, while the on-court production for his was so-so, off the court is where he managed to land his first real NBA deal when he signed a multi-year deal that enables the Pacers to have Dwayne sign through this season as well as two more seasons. Uh, Next year, his salary will be a non-guaranteed $1.6 million and then it will become a non-guaranteed $1.8 million in 2023-2024, to an absolute steal for the Pacers, assuming Dwayne continues to take steps forward as he is a very promising rotational player for the Pacers. He always need three-point shooting, and Dwayne was one of the better three-point shooters for the Pacers this season. Lastly, Terry Taylor had himself another productive week on the court, but also off the court. Terry averaged 12 points on 57.7% shooting. Um, as well as three rebounds per game as he started all three games on the week. So great to see him, you know, being a starter for the last few weeks. It's been encouraging to see. But when you want to talk about encouragement, Terry's best game on the week was a 15.6 rebound performance as he went absolutely Steph Curry like from three, going a perfect three for three from three point land, shooting six of nine overall from the field. The Pacers got ahead of it once again with Terry. They inked him to a multi-year deal, which gives the Pacers the option to keep him in Indiana for the next two seasons at $1.6 million for next season. What was different from the Dwayne Washington Jr. deal is that Terry's actually getting some guaranteed money. $625,000 of that being guaranteed. And then it'll be a $1.8 million non-guaranteed deal in 2023 and 2024. This is something that I've been saying ever since the Pacers waived Tristan Thompson and had an open roster spot. You got to get one of these guys signed in Terry Taylor, Dwayne Washington Jr. I hope they would be Terry. And these are great, very team-friendly deals. Reminds me of the Edmund Sumner deals. Yeah, though, Shea Brissett, where the Pacers got ahead of it and ended up getting a steal in two players that were undrafted uh, in this year's past draft. So, you know, benefit, you know, kudos to them. They really worked their butt off to be able to get these deals, and uh, I'm great that it was a win-win for both parties. That's all for the Setting the Pace Rookie Report for this week. everybody welcome back to the setting the pace player of the week this will be the final setting the pace player of the week uh and i mean you know look where do we go over here who, who do we want to give it to is there a feel-good story now there is no other direction to go than making our final setting the pace player of the week Then the franchise himself mr i'm ready to take the torch the man who wanted to bring the sacramento kings back to well a respectable place but he's now doing it in Indiana that is Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese averaged 23.3 points per game on 64% shooting and a blistering 60% from three to go along with eight assists per game six rebounds per game and 1.7 steals per game over the past calendar week. Tyrese had quite a few staggering stat lines but it's kind of hard to pick his best game of the week so I'm gonna highlight two of them. Against Boston, he finished with 30 points on 10 of 11 shooting, as he was truly looking for his shot, being aggressive, something that Pacer fans, you know, we're gonna find something to complain about. A lot of us have been saying he's not aggressive enough, and rightfully so. Well, he was extra aggressive in this game, maybe even a little bit too aggressive, because he fouled out with roughly eight minutes to go. The last foul I remember being a horrendous call by the refs, but it stripped Pacer fans of seeing what could have been a truly special performance, maybe a 40 point performance. Who knows, might've even stole the win. Not that we really wanted to win at this time of the year, but Tyrese was on fire in that game. Then what did he do? He followed up that performance with a 19.17 assist and zero turnover performance, which is absolutely absurd when you take into the fact that it was the second time in nearly two weeks that he had at least 15 assists and zero turnovers, putting him in a very elite class of just a select few point guards to do it. I believe it was Chris Paul. I think Steve Nash was on there. There there was one other point guard. I'll look that up and get back to you. But that's everything that you want in a point guard. So just imagine what he can do when, you know, as he continues to grow. As we continue to surround him with more capable shooters and better talent. Or how about this for starters? What if we just surround him with the main teammates that he would already have on this team in Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, and Chris Duarte? Because... If this man's having 17 assists, zero turnovers, I mean, the sky's the limit over here. So I'm very excited for Tyrese Halliburton and to see what he does next year in his first full year as a Pacer. That is all for the Setting the Pace Player of the Week segment. I hope you enjoyed it this year. We'll be back with you shortly. All right, we are back for our Setting the Pace Fan of the Week segment, and we have none other than Eli Worster. Eli, what's going on?
4: Not much, Michael. Just happy to be here, ready to talk some basketball. I'm really excited. Honored.
2: Awesome. Hey, no, we always love to be able to connect with some of our listeners. So glad to have you on the show. Uh, I thought we'd start by, you know, always always love to hear about how someone became a Pacer fan. So tell me a little bit about how you became a fan and how long you've been a fan.
4: All right. So pretty much I was born in Indiana, Indianapolis. Uh, My family moved to uh, Chicago when I was around three, but I remember a really distinct memory of me was uh, my dad taking me to go see uh, Pacers Raptors when I was really little, when uh, Vince Carter was still there. And kind of that, just like watching Jermaine O'Neal work people in the post, kicking it out to Al Harrington, that stuff kind of really started it. And then I think when I really like found a really deep love for it was that those 2013 and 2014 runs with with Paul George, David West... Roy Hibbert, CJ Watson off the bench, some Luis Scola action. That was when I really like fell in love with them.
2: Awesome. Love it. I mean, anytime anyone's going to bring up Jermaine, my favorite player of all time, I'm about to be getting in my feelings. So, hey, I, I love it. I mean, it-, it was so hard to not see that back then and-, and just get hooked with the team. But when you mentioned, you know, those back-to-back conference finals runs, we commonly hear oh. that that was a-, a big changing point for fans because, It really was so close. I mean, you think about only LeBron himself could truly stop the Pacers at that time. And plus, it always hurts a little bit when you reflect on how close the Pacers were compared to this season when things did not go, uh, to put it lightly, well at all. But uh, coming, coming into this year, I mean, tell me a little bit about your expectations of the team and what did you think we could become? Uh, could you repeat the question? You kind of broke up. Sorry about that, Mike. Yeah, no, no worries. I was just going to say, coming into this season, what were your expectations for the team?
4: Because many people could not have imagined this. I frankly, frankly, Mike, I did not expect anything from this team. I think, af- really, really, after Victor Oladipo ruptured his quad in February against Toronto, I there really wasn't any direction that we can really build a championship team. Um, I think the formula we were trying to go for was how we did in 2013 and 14, where we have a bunch of really good guys highlighted by like a, a star player like Victor Oladipo or Paul George that can turn it up in clutch time. But once he went down with that career-ending injury, unfortunately, Sabonis was never able to fill that hole. And I think, I think it, it took a catastrophic start like we had this, this fall to really shake up the team for the better, honestly. Yeah,
2: it very much had to happen. I'm 100% on board that, you know, you couldn't just continue to slap a Band-Aid on this team and, you know, get them Mm -hmm. back in in the the eighth seed or the play-in or anything like that. You finally had to, you know, start from the ground level and build it back up. So, you know, did you feel like the Pacers made the right moves with those trades? I mean, trading a guy like Sabonis, you know, there could be some backlash, but I'm willing to take a step back before we can take a leap forward. Did you feel the same?
4: I gotta say, I was a when we had when on Pacers Twitter had that Turner Sabonis war of who we should keep. I was firmly on team Sabonis. I thought we could build a team around him, his playmaking ability, his off his off ball awareness on offense. I feel like it's stuff you can build a championship team around as like a modern big. But that being said, the fact that we got Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald for pennies on the dollar. I couldn't be more happier. Halliburton is truly a special player. I think he's going to be future all NBA first team multiple times. I think he's that kind of player. The way he play makes, the way he's passed first, the way his teammates seem to love and gravitate towards him. I just think he couldn't have asked for a better trade.
2: Oh, I'm beyond excited about Tyrese Halliburton. I think when you're looking to build a foundation of a team that can contend, it starts with getting a real point guard. And that's what we finally had in Halliburton. So, you know, outside of Halliburton, maybe who did you enjoy watching play the most this year for the Pacers?
4: I think it's, uh, it was, honestly, it was multiple. It was just watching the young guys play. Uh, Especially the Pritchard's draft picks this year, our draft class with uh, Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, just seeing, those two and Halliburton, like, really grow and kind of seeing those three be like, okay, I can really see these guys be in a nine-to-ten-man rotation in the NBA Finals game with Halliburton possibly being the best player. Uh, just seeing them kind of, like, establish themselves as NBA players and being competitive through games where we were, honestly, some, some of them we were trying to lose, but just seeing them, like, be really competitive and seeing, like, their futures being being like, yeah, I think these guys can be playoff guys for sure. Yeah, I felt like everybody on this
2: roster had at least at some point an equal chance to be able to play and go out there and show what they had to do, whether it worked yeah, out 100%. or if it didn't. We felt like there was no, hey, why isn't this guy getting any minutes at all? Everybody had an opportunity. And now that makes me feel like those young guys – are going to be ready next year and they'll, they'll fill in the, the the holes at the back end of the rotation, but we still have a lot of work to do. One of my last questions would be, you know, what do you, is there like a wish list for you this off season, whether it's in the draft or
4: free agency for the Pacers to do? All right. So I got, I got two answers. So for the right. draft, I've been basically what I've been looking at for the Pacers is we're looking, we were one of the worst defensive teams efficiently. I yes. think we were like 29th or 30th in defensive efficiency and in the bottom third and almost every other important defensive category. So for our four, for our top five pick, I think the best case scenario would be to take someone like a bigger four who's more def, who can play both ways. So someone hopefully like Jabari Smith, he's my top guy in the draft this year. I love his shot form, 42% three-point shooter. Um, he needs to work on his ball handling, but that can be worked with NBA NBA staff. Um, another guy I like obviously everyone's talking about Paolo Benchero and the run he's made and Duke, um, his playmaking and his ability to get to the rack and put anyone on his hip, no problem. Really like that for the Pacers. But a guy, I think two guys we should look for honestly in our draft spot are Jeremy Sochan, a Baylor, who's been who kind of fits like a Draymond role. Doesn't really need the shoot, can kind of guard all positions. I feel like that would be a good fit where he can be a post presence inside as Miles isn't really built to defend the post that much, except for rim protection, but to like body up other people is more what I'm talking about. And then uh, Johnny Davis also, that Wisconsin team was not talented at all. And the way he was able to just be a presence when he was ever on the court, I think that was a huge impact too. And just for uh, free agents, I just think we should look for guys who are really good at defense and are really good off... Really good off the ball when Tyrese is kind of doing his thing. So some and some guys I like are Joe Ingles, Thaddeus Young, Kyle Anderson, and Robert Covington or Chris Boucher. Those are some guys I think Pritchard should look in the signing
2: to all, all some good names. You know, if the Pacers are picking fifth, they're they're in a tough spot because guys like you mm-hmm. know, Jabari and, and Beccaro, they're not going to be there. You know, so that's the thing. Yeah. They're probably gonna get taken above us. But then also we might be picking just before like a Johnny Davis is able to be picked. So it's a tough spot to be in. You almost wish we were like one pick higher, you know, or then if we were one or two picks lower, then I feel like a guy like Johnny Davis could fall into play over there. But uh, it's going to be very interesting when you mention a guy like Thad Young. Look, we need veterans. So I I would love to see Thad come back. I don't think that he would be looking for – any type of big deal at all. I think he just wants to have a role on a team and a place that he's already been in Indiana. I think it would be a mutual beneficial, you know, um, relationship to, to bring back together. So I'd be very excited for that. And you also named some other good guys, uh, Robert Cummington My only thing is I feel like he wants to go to more of a contender, but he would be a perfect player mm-hmm. for this team because we need help defensively. Um, he's also a great veteran. So. All great stuff, but Eli, as we wrap
4: up, I want to thank you for coming on the show and tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Elijah Worster. I'll be tweeting about the NBA playoffs a lot. Love the NBA. Um, yeah, just check me out on Twitter and uh, keep checking out setting, setting the Pace podcast. You guys are great, and uh, it was a pleasure to be on the show. Awesome. Hey, appreciate you. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, let's go Pacers. Go Pacers. Die hard,
2: baby.